This episode is sponsored by Marvel Strike Force. If you're looking for a superhero-themed mobile game, look no further. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Your goal is to power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes like Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. The game is currently celebrating its 6 year anniversary, and they're letting new users in on the celebration by providing free stuff, courtesy of our unique link in the show notes. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses, and if you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all of the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. We've received a unique promo code, so new users can follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Thanks to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you had an extra hour in your day, what's the first thing you would do? Get outside more? Check in on that friend you've been meaning to catch up with? Maybe learn how to play an instrument? I know I've thought about what I would do with more time in my day, and many people daydream about what they might do in that scenario. The best way to squeeze that special thing into your actual schedule is to know what's important to you and take whatever reasonable steps you can to make those things more of a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you, so you can do more of it. Therapy is not just for people who've experienced major traumas. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills, how to set boundaries, and it empowers you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking about giving therapy a try, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a quick questionnaire that will match you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash FilmDaily. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily. Today is Friday, February 2nd, 2024. On today's episode of the show, we're going to be having a spoiler-filled conversation about Matthew Vaughn's newest spy film, Argyle. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm an editor at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. Brad, you had the opportunity to go to London for this movie. Tell me about that trip. I did, yeah. It was just a, a quick thing for a press junket over there uh, where they, they had an opportunity for us to screen the movie and then... Uh, speak with some of the cast. Um, they had uh, Sam Rockwell and Henry Cavill and John Cena and Ariana DeBose and Bryce Dallas Howard and Brian Cranston and of course director Matthew Vaughn. Uh, we didn't get a chance to talk to everybody, but we talked to most of those people, and you'll you'll hear a little bit from uh, a couple of them later on in this podcast. So yeah, it was just a, a cool trip um, over there to check out the movie and uh, and talk with uh, yeah all the people from Argyle. So tell me about your relationship to Matthew Vaughn's movies. Jacob and I did a big podcast episode yesterday where we went through his entire filmography minus Argyle and ranked everything and sort of talked about his strengths and weaknesses as a director. But where do you stand when it comes to Matthew Vaughn as a filmmaker? You know, I think that I'm I mostly like what he does. Um, I I appreciate 
only takes big swings, uh, you know, with, with, with movies. And like, he's, he's one to go for like much more wild and an unhinged action, which, which I appreciate as we, you know, we see a lot of, you know, the same stuff over and over again in various action movies. And he's willing to really like swing for the fences and do new things. So like, uh, you know, I, I really dug kick ass. Um, I liked X-Men first class, of course. Um, and I, when it comes to the Kingsman movies, I've, I think they, I feel like they've been hit or miss, you know, uh, you like, uh, Kingsman, the secret service is a lot of fun. The golden circle, yeah, the Kingsman, uh, does some really weird things. Um, <laughs> yes, it does. I just watched that for the first time yesterday. <laughs> yeah. To, to say the least. So yeah. And of course, you know, I mean, layer cake, you know, uh, that's, that's kind of, you know, where he got his start and that's, that's good stuff, which, um, largely because, you know, it feels like that there's a promising, uh, Guy Ritchie, you know, proxy there. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, so I I, th- I think more often than not, I, I enjoy what he brings to the table. I doubt that you've had the opportunity to listen to that podcast yet. And I'm not going to like fully repeat myself for listeners who have already heard it. But uh, Stardust was a huge surprise for me when I revisited that um, in, in preparation of that uh, podcast conversation. I was like shocked at how much I liked that movie. And that spoiler alert ended up being the number one Matthew Vaughn movie for Jacob and I uh, on that list. Where do you stand on Stardust? Have you seen that one in a long time? I haven't seen it since it came out. And so I feel like I'm probably overdue to give it give it a rewatch. Yeah, it, it was like, I just, I thought it was super charming and like, um, yeah, just like shockingly good and actually holds up pretty well for a movie being made and released in 2007. So uh, okay. anyway, I'm on like a bit of a crusade trying to recommend people check that, check that movie out. So forgive me. Uh, okay, so let's get into our general thoughts about this movie, Argyle. Um, it sounds like you're a bit more of a Matthew Bond fan than I am, Brad. I'll just say quickly that I thought this movie was like, okay i thought that trailer that that uh seemed to be like haunting movie theaters for months on end and like you just could not escape it was awful and i i think a huge part of that had to do with just the fact that as a viewer uh, as a regular moviegoer i was kind of forced to sit through it you know over and over and over again and that kind of like almost soured me on the idea of even seeing this movie um but i think i would say that i'm glad that i saw the movie because uh, the movie is certainly better, in my view, anyway, than the trailer sort of made it seem. I think that the trailer is doing a lot of work to obfuscate and, and kind of like hide as much as possible of like what Argyle really is and really is about. Um, but I thought it was kind of like, yeah, I don't know. I guess we'll get into like an updated ranking of where I think it falls in the Matthew Bond stuff in the back half of this episode. But I, I thought it was much better than I thought going in, but I still didn't love it. But what, what did you think about it? Yeah, I kind of feel the same way about the trailer because I, I like certain aspects of it, but seeing it over and over again is really frustrating. I feel the same way actually about the One Love trailer, the Bob Marley movie. I like I, I have no desire to see that movie now because I have seen that trailer in front of every single movie I've seen in theaters for the past three to four months or something yeah. like that. So um, and also like I feel like some, some of the stuff they pushed for the Argyle trailer doesn't necessarily like it like it makes sense as far as like trying to sell what they can without giving anything away but like putting so much of the focus on the cat seems weird especially when you see how integral that the cat actually is to the movie i was anticipating the cat having somewhat of more of a significant part um but yeah i i actually think that even though the trailer has some frustrating things about it, i'm kind of glad that they hid a lot of what they did um, because I, I actually, I think I enjoy the second half of the movie more than the first, because the first hits, first half hits a lot of the beats that you would expect from a movie like this. But the second half is where Matthew Vaughn really starts to like cut loose and do some cool things. And that's when all the like 
twists and turns start uh, coming fast and furious. And so mm-hmm. from, I, I think for me, the second half, you know, once things started coming and changing, you know, at, at every little, little turn, I was just like, okay, this is, you know, some, some silly fun. And I got, and I was on board for it. Okay. So let's take a break and then we'll come back and get into some spoilery specifics about this film. All right. So, uh, you know, Brad, the plot of this thing is like, I feel like I came back from this movie and I was trying to talk to my wife about it a little bit. She did not go see it with me. And I was like, you know what? If I tried to just explain this movie to you, it would almost take as long as you watching the movie just because like so much stuff happens and there's like so many back and forths and like uh, twists and turns and this sort of like labyrinthine plot machinations and all this stuff. So I, I think for the purposes of this podcast, it doesn't really make sense for us to go like beat by beat necessarily. But I did want to just open it up here for like highs and lows. Like, did you have any moments that you particularly loved anything you thought that the movie kind of, uh, you know, um, like flubbed a little bit, uh, any, what moments I guess stand out to you, whether they be positive or negative. Uh, so there are two huge action moments in the third act that I was like, just totally having a blast with because they just, they, they take things up to 11 and there are two action sequences where you, you've never honestly never seen two action sequences like this. Um, and, and they're, they're visually like unique. Uh, they're as far as the action and how it's executed, it's unique. And they're just, they're so bonkers. Like there's no other way to like to describe it. Like you would, you would have never expected to see uh, scenes like this in the movie. And so um, I'm, I'm, we're just going full bore spoiler with this one, right? Yes. Yes. So the, the two that I'm talking about are um, first, there's a sequence where, Bryce Dallas Howard's character having realized who she is and, and everything. And Sam Rockwell's character, who is her former partner and lover, uh, team up to fight through a stream of like, you know, armored bad guys with guns. And to do this, they shoot out these canisters uh, of colorful, vibrant smoke as they leave this, this weapon armory, you know, armed to the teeth. Uh, and this is all set to Leona Lewis's cover of Run, which was originally done by Snow Patrol. And they're they're moving basically in, in slow motion in this very elegant fashion as if they're doing a, a, an action sequence that is also like a classic movie musical sequence. And Bryce Dallas Howard and Sam Rockwell are literally dancing with each other and also fighting bad guys like Aiden is like embracing her and moving her around as you know as if they were dancing in a ballroom but they're also shooting weapons and and hitting bad guys and like doing these like acrobats around and all the while the smoke that surrounds them continually changing colors and everything and starts to form shapes around them like an actual heart and Mm -hmm. a a rainbow behind them and everything and it's it's such a like a an elegantly and like silly and like fun, fantastical action sequence. And I've never seen anything like that before. And it was, I I just thought it was so cool to see that. I loved the look of this scene. It reminded me a little bit of like the, um, the sort of similarly colorful smoke scene in uh, birds of prey with the, um, the one, I don't know if you remember, but I I want to say like Harley Quinn goes into like a police station or something and is like shooting smoke gas and stuff like that in, in that scene. It's been a while since I've seen that movie, yeah. but, uh, but yeah, I, I love the look of this. I just don't really think that the, um, the dance slash fight combo really worked for me very well because I kept spending the whole time during that moment thinking like, Hey, wow, this looks super cool. And like, it it does seem unlike anything that I've really seen before, but B like, 
what is the practicality of what's going on here? Have these characters performed this exact dance before? And they're just like spinning around and shooting indiscriminately. And it seems like every shot they're hitting, you know, just wave after wave of these people who are coming in. And like, it seems like they've practiced these particular moves before, but there's also fight stuff incorporated into it. So I was just like kind of caught up in like the logic of it and being like, what is going on? This doesn't really make sense on a practical level, but like, I guess as like a metaphor for like the emotional connection of these characters and like them getting back together sort of as after all this time apart, uh, it it works more on like a, yeah, like a, a metaphorical or like a thematic level almost than it does to me as like a practical thing, if that makes any sense. So no, for sure. And I, I think if you let it be kind of like a fantastical representation of what they did and maybe not take it at like literal face value as like, Oh, this is what they actually did. Then I think that that's even more fun. Yeah. So the other uh, big action scene that you were going to talk about, tell me about that one. That's the one that I assume the, the skating scene that happens right after this. Yeah. So they, uh, in one of the other climactic scenes there, um, they kind of get cornered in like the, um, the so the, the, the division is the evil organization. Their layer is avo- uh, aboard an oil tanker. And uh, so they get cornered in this room where, where there are a bunch of oil tanks and stuff around. And so there's a shootout in there and some of the oil uh, cans get like blasted open. So there's oil seeping all over the floor and there's no way for them to easily uh, keep firing without igniting like the entire room in flames. And they can't easily like walk around to like just fight each other because the oil is slippery and everything. And so then uh, Bryce Dallas Howard gets this crazy idea because she, after regaining her, her memory, she, um, she was told that she was in some kind of uh, um, accident, a skating accident, yeah, skating accident. Because she, yeah, she, and she used to be a figure skater, and the, but and then uh, she realizes to herself, she's like, she's like, wait a minute, is is the 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 stuff the stuff about figure skating in my life real? And Sam Rockwell tells her, he's like, he's like, yeah. And so then all of a sudden she like takes basically knives and sticks them into the bottom of her like c- combat boots turning them into makeshift uh, ice skates. And she starts slicking around on the oil that's spilled all over the floor, like this professional ice skater skating around, spinning, cutting, punching, you know, hitting all these bad guys with, you know, and as, and nobody can do anything about it because nobody can try and shoot at her or anything. And she's just zooming around and she just keeps going and going. And it's just like, Oh my God, what is going on? It definitely feels like these two scenes are where the movie kind of like cranks it to 11 to use an over uh, overused term. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, 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 to a degree, I enjoyed this, Brad, because of like the sort of like sheer ballsiness of it. And like it, it seems um, like at least Matthew Vaughn is trying to be creative and like give us an action scene that we haven't quite seen before. I, I thought a little bit about the first I believe it's the first transporter movie with Jason Statham where there's a similar scene where like he fights a bunch of dudes uh, and there's like oil all over the place. And I want to see he like steps into uh, like bike. Um, I don't know. There, you know how like sometimes when you're uh, in certain bikes, you can step on the pedals and there will be like a little uh, place for your foot to lock in or something. I think he steps yeah. on a couple of those and breaks them off of the off of a nearby bicycle. And he's able to sort of traverse this oil uh, oil slick area where these guys are just like slipping and falling all over the place. So I, I, it reminded me of that a little bit, but this is way more, um, you know, dialed up basically. It's like all over the place. She's doing, you know, spinning motions and like full on figure skating routines basically, yeah. uh, while, you know, taking these guys out. So I, I think, 
my same issue goes with like the the colorful thing that happened right before. I kind of feel like the movie got greedy a little bit where it, it, it tried to throw on like one too many moves. Like you see what the film is trying to do. You see what Vaughn is trying to do with these action sequences. And it's just kind of like, for me, like overstayed both of those scenes kind of overstayed their welcome a little bit. I feel like he pushed it just a little bit too far. Like f- the, the longer you're in that scene, the more or the longer I was in that scene, the more I started thinking about the practicality of what was going on. And it, it right. kind of like took me out of it a little bit. I'm like, I don't think the knives would really work that way. <laughs> you know, being jammed into the bottom of a, of a shoe or whatever. But whereas like, I might not well, have well, thought about that. I hope you're that. in a situation where you have to find out, Ben. <laughs> you're absolutely right. Uh, I, I just feel like I, maybe I wouldn't have thought that if the scene had ended, you know, a minute or two before it did, you know, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, it's certainly like, I, I definitely appreciate that, that sort of big swing quality that you were talking about there. So those are some I, of the I, I, do think, I do think if there's a general flaw potentially with the movie, I, as much as I enjoyed a lot of the twists and turns, it did feel like at some point it kind of became a little bit tiresome, like, oh no, another one. Um, but, it, but, it, but like at the same time, the twist was always something that may, that was still interesting enough that it's like, oh, okay, well, let's see where it goes from here. Yeah. So yeah, w- let's jump ahead to that actually before we even get into like some of the the other lows or whatever of the movie. Um, a question that I just wrote down were what is uh, were the twists effective? And there are so many twists in this movie, Brad. I was like kind of shocked to see that. Like it seems like every you know maybe after the first act or something, it seems like every few minutes you were just kind of being pummeled by like. Uh, a world shaking revelation, you know, uh, on the, on the scale of this movie, even though it it wasn't necessarily like a, a world um, spanning a movie with like world spanning stakes. It seemed like relatively small scale, which I appreciated uh, even though it was like this international adventure. Um, But, uh, but yeah, I was, I was just kind of shocked with like how many twists there were in this thing. What, what did you make of that? Yeah. For me, you know, I, I had a lot of fun with most of them, you know, um, I think that the one that like um, you you probably start to figure out as the movie goes on because it's the only one that really uh, makes sense and it's arguably the biggest twist because the marketing was about you you know find out who the real Agent Argyle is and as we find out the real Agent Argyle is Bryce Dallas Howard's character Ellie Conway who lived a former life as a spy named Rachel Kyle or Agent R Kyle. Agent Argyle. There you go. <laughs> um, uh, which a little bit flimsy, maybe. It's kind of like the idea of that 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 Tom Marvolo riddle spells out "I am Lord Voldemort." It's like <laughs> yes. mm, I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but but yeah. So like so that that's the big twist. But then like there's so many fun other ones that come after that. I think my favorite one probably was finding out that uh, like because you're you're trying to work through like wait a minute how does this make sense or whatever is when you see. Um, Brian Cranston's character Ritter, who is the head of the evil organization known as the Division, walks in to a hotel room as Bryce Dallas Howard's character's father, and she's not like surprised by this. And you're, so you're in your mind, you're like, oh my, wait, that's the the bad guy. How is how is he her father, and how does she not know about any of this mm-hmm. or anything? And that's when you're trying to figure out, wait, wait, what? How does this make sense? And then like that, that, and then it starts just going from there because then you find out that Catherine O'Hara's character, who is her mom, who has been this lovely person this entire time, isn't actually her mom. And then that she's been brainwashed after a mission went wrong. And so all this stuff just starts firing. I loved the reaction from Bryce Dallas Howard when she looks back at Catherine O'Hara in slow motion, like what the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was great. And that Cranston reveal, I was kind of like, 
oh my God, this character is like so much more evil than I thought he was because yeah. he is like basically saying, you know, we need to kidnap my own daughter in this right. scenario in order to, you know, execute my evil plan or whatever. And then you realize in like another twist pretty soon afterwards that they're not actually uh, Ellie's parents or yeah. Rachel's parents or whatever. So like that's kind of like a one-two punch of twist moments right there just in, you know, involving those characters, that that sort of trio of characters. And I actually love the way that Cranston plays it too because there, there's like a, a brief moment when he goes in to like to hug her as dad, but like the look on his face is like, oh my God. Yeah. And he, he seems like he's about to choke her or something from behind. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's good yeah. stuff there. And, and then so like and then, you know, later as the, the, the story continues, we, you get the twist where, you know, you find out that Rachel Kyle was actually working as a double agent for the division. Um, and then so so Sam Rockwell's character, who is her former partner and lover, was unaware of this. And so then it seems like maybe uh, she turns back, you know, to her her dark decision to work for the division and kill Sam Rockwell's character, but no, he did, she wasn't actually trying to kill him. She was just making it look like it, and so yeah. he's still do, doing the right thing. Um, so that 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 there was that. Uh, the one I think the one twist where I was like, uh, this is going a little, it's it's a little too much now. Is um, after they've gone through the uh, the the smoke action sequence and the ice skating action sequence, and they're on the like the surface of the oil tanker when Catherine O'Hara shows up and basically Winter Soldiers. Uh, Ellie Conway and all of a sudden she's being used as a weapon who has to now fight Sam Rockwell and it's just like oh no (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's a little I I feel like the whole vascular corridor thing with Ariana DeBose's character and the resurrection and all that like that was teased a little bit early on in the movie but then when it's actually you know incorporated into the plot where like uh, Rachel shoots Sam Rockwell's character Aiden in the chest and then you realize later that she like stopped the bleeding somehow like the movie kind of like hand waves away how all that works and i was kind of and even you know one of the characters says like that's the dumbest thing i've ever heard when they lay that out and i was kind of thinking that myself sitting in the audience like all right i understand the idea of like you know the old trick where like you're wearing a bulletproof vest when you didn't think somebody was, or even like, you know, there's a little booklet or something that's in your jacket pocket that kind of protects a bullet from hitting you in the heart or whatever. This is like, no, the bullet actually shreds through your torso, but it just happens to go on the exact right trajectory where it doesn't, you know, uh, inflict fatal damage or whatever. I was like, this is, this is a little, a little silly even for Matthew Bond. Yeah, of course. Uh, But yeah, you know, but I, I think at that point too, I had already just like bought into so much of the, the, the insanity and just how over the top everything was that I was, I was totally on board. And then, and that's the thing too, is like the second half is stronger because Matthew Vaughn starts doing crazy wild things. And the first half doesn't feel quite so strong because it's kind of formulaic as far as giving us the story of somebody caught up in something they're not supposed to be. Um, And, but like, I think that if he didn't do that gradual lead up to it, it wouldn't be as effective, you know, because like he, he can't just throw us in and like be wild the entire time. You know, it has to like yeah. gradually get there. And so I think that like that actually, you know, works to the movie's favor in a sense. And I think the the thing, the aspect of that that works the most for me is actually the romance between Bryce Dallas Howard and Sam Rockwell's characters. Yeah. I, I found myself like surprisingly invested in that, um, given how much I kind of like hated their characters just from the trailer, you know, but like especially the moment where they go, you know, they have this this uh, this big escape scene where they like f- um, 
break out of a hacker's place and escape on a boat and all that. And so they've like gone through and there's this big uh, long train sequence where they first meet and there's a big fight that once again, I thought lasted a little bit too long there, but like they've been through some stuff together as characters. And then they end up in the Arabian Peninsula somewhere and she's got this fancy dress on and they dance uh, while they're waiting on, you know, the something like the, the secret holder or whatever this character's name is. Uh, they're about to like have a meetup with somebody and she's supposed to get this like silver bullet that has the, all the information, basically the knock list for the division basically. Um, and they have this, this really nice moment on this dance floor where uh, it's revealed that like they were lovers and like uh, Sam Rockwell's character had been um, sort of watching over her for five years while she's undergone this, you know, basically transformation. This is sort of like, um, you know, amnesiatic kind of uh thing where she was being this whole other person and writing these uh, spy novels and stuff. And he was kind of like watching her from afar and protecting her. And like the, um, I don't know, I'm just a sucker for love stories like that, where like character, one character has been yearning for another or sort of like yearning across time and space. And there's like huge stretches of time where it it just becomes so tragic because of all the time lost in the in the process there's just something about those kind of love stories that really get to me and i thought this was actually executed pretty well i I was like very on board with the romance there what did you think about uh how that worked and then i guess more broadly about bryce dallas howard and sam rockwell and their performances in this movie yeah that that was one of the things that i really loved that they that took a big focus of the second act is really putting the the spotlight on their relationship and making that the core uh, of the movie of her kind of rekindling that connection uh, with Sam Rockwell's character, Aiden and having it be such a big part of how the second movie uh, played out. You know, it had a little bit of a, of a Mr. And Mrs. Smith vibe to it without the, the infighting and yeah, having, having it, uh, Bryce Dallas Howard at the crux of that too. Um, and giving re- really giving those action sequences more of like a female perspective without like, I like that when Bryce Dallas Howard's character, remembers all these things and like the, what she can do and everything. She doesn't necessarily turn and suddenly turn into this like tough masculine version, you know, of a, of a female character. Like she's still, you know, essentially a version of herself. And that's, that's why those sequences have like uh, an air of femininity to them. That was something that actually Matthew Vaughn talked about too, is that he wanted to have uh, that, that feeling there in those action sequences. Um, and so, cause usually, you know, you, when you, when you have female characters like that, there's a, a tendency to make them like gruff and tough and, you know, and not necessarily feel, um, like, like ha- half of that air of femininity. And so mm-hmm. I, I, I really appreciated that. Um, and Bryce Dallas Howard and Sam Rockwell are both great in their respective performances that like, I wouldn't have ever thought they would have been a great duo like this, but Sam Rockwell does such a great job as being like this every man spy who doesn't, isn't necessarily like dashing and debonair, uh, like James Bond, and then when he gets into like cool guy spy mode, it's it it's, it still feels like a lot of fun. Like when he shows up with that that argyle haircut, I'm just I I love that <laughs> so much. Yeah. Um, and then and Bryce Dallas Howard, I think one of the things that I really appreciate about her performance is she did a great job of making everything around her that was so unbelievable feel grounded. Like I I you really feel the emotion that she feels. Like when she she's panicked and crying and everything. Like it 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 never felt like she was overdoing it or anything. And I think it helped lend uh, a little bit of believability to everything that was happening around her, even though it's nothing that is, you know, plausible at all. Yeah. Yeah. I think even in something like Romancing the Stone, which this movie is clearly influenced by, like Kathleen Turner's character in that movie is supposed to, yeah, in that movie is supposed to be like um, a romance novelist who gets 
caught up on this whirlwind adventure with Michael Douglas's character. And she, you know, she's supposed to feel like a fish out of water, but there's just something about that character that kind of makes her feel um, maybe a little bit more capable than a normal person would be in some of those situations. And Bryce Dallas Howard, I, yeah, I, I agree. I think she does a good job of, of really feeling like she's truly legitimately out of her elements in, in some of the, like, you know, some of the more like spy centric kind of stuff. But she also walks that fine line of like having that kind of Jason Bourne moment where they're out at that French vineyard or whatever. And, and uh, Aiden like tries to kick her ass basically as a way to kind of like shake her memories back into place. Um, and she kind of like pulls off the the physical aspect of it, you know, pretty convincingly, I think. So she has like a, a tough part to play here by, um, you know, ha- having to sort of walk that line of, of two totally different sides of this, of this character and make it feel believable all the way through. So um, I guess before we get into the the ending of the movie, was there any other moment that you wanted to highlight here? Anything good or bad um, that, that stood out to you? Uh, you know, I mentioned the cat before and the cat is such a weird part of this movie because like it does bring certain elements of comedy. The way Sam Rockwell uh, reacts to the cat and whatnot is, is, is funny and that kind of thing. But honestly, more often than not, the cat felt like an unnecessary distraction um, rather than a feature. And I also felt like there were a lot of instances where people were just unnecessarily mean to the cat for no reason. Like the fact that Sam Rockwell just like takes the cat and throws it over the edge, uh, you know, hoping that there there is an airbag down there for them to land on. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like Brian Cranston's character, obviously he's a villain, but like the way he kind of just throws the cat aside when he's in the hotel, just like, ah, get the fuck out of here. Yeah. Um, there's, there's just so many times where like, he's just mistreated. and I just, I just felt bad for the cat. Yeah. That cat gets dropped a lot in that, uh, that sort of backpack thing with the little space portal or whatever, yeah. <laughs> looking out of it. Like I think, I feel like, you know, it spends a lot of the movie strapped to Bryce Dallas Howard's back, but it spends maybe just as much time, you know, basically getting like shoved around in different ways. And like, yeah, you're right. Based on how the cat was uh, appearing in the trailer, it definitely seemed like there was going to be some sort of cat centric moment that really came out and and like where the cat saved the day. And I guess it does like scratch Bri- uh, Brian Cranston's face at the end, but like, yeah, but also kind of ruins it. Yeah. So that it didn't really feel as, um, I don't know, as like, movie-ish in the the uh, conclusion to that cat, the cat character's arc i guess if you want to put it that way um i i will say that the opening chase scene in this movie where you know you've got it's, it's with uh it's within the world of the argyle book that bryce dallas howard's character is writing in the very beginning and you've got henry cavill and john cena and uh, dua lipa and uh ariana debose shows up there as a sort of supporting uh player i think the opening chase is one of the worst looking chases I've seen in a long time. Like Brad, this this movie has a budget of like $200 million and the visual effects where Henry Cavill is driving that big yeah, uh, yeah. thing down these, uh, atop Grecian, um, you know, homes or whatever. It was, it reminded me a little bit of like Bad Boys 2 where those characters are just like driving down through the, the side of a mountain and just yeah. completely crushing, you know, these communities and homes that have been built up there. Uh, Henry Cavill is just like cruising around, like uh, on top of all of these um, Greek homes or whatever. It just looks really, really rough. And I, I don't, I want to be careful to not blame the visual effects professionals who probably as has been, you know, widely reported, like the VFX industry is uh has it pretty rough right now and so these people probably did not have nearly 
the time or the resources they needed to make it look great. But um, yeah, I don't know, man. Like it just looks awful. I don't, I don't know what to say. What, what did you think about that? The opening of this? No, I agree wholeheartedly. When I was watching that, I was just like, man, I hope that the rest of the movie like has sequences that look better than this because yeah, like so many things just looked uh, artificial and like really just like took you, took you out of the experience, you know? And like, granted it's supposed to be, you know, like an exaggerated spy world because it's happening in, in the novel and whatnot. But like, yeah, it, it was just, uh, it was really rough to look at. Okay, so let's talk about the ending of the movie. Um, after, you know, the, the big uh, climax is over, the film ends with uh, Bryce Dallas Howard's character finishing the Argyle book series. I think it's book six that she completes. And book she's five. back. Oh, book five. I'm sorry. And she's she's back at um at like a, uh, a speaking engagement for the, the premiere or the, the debut of this new book. And it mirrors a scene that happened earlier in the movie where she's answering questions from the audience. And if memory serves correctly, uh, basically the, the final bit of the actual movie is somebody saying, okay, yeah, there's a guy in the back. Let's take a question from you. And he stands up and he's wearing this yellow shirt and he's got uh, a, a mullet and it's Henry Cavill. And he says something along the lines of like, I don't have a question, but I'm sure you have a lot for me. And she kind of gasps and that's the end of the movie. Uh, and I was like, wait a second, what now? Like, how does this work? Because yeah. as you you alluded to earlier, like it's kind of revealed pretty early in the movie that Bryce Dallas Howard is Argyle. You know, she is like the the um, Henry Cavill character is kind of like a a version of her, so to speak. Like she's writing down. Yeah, it's, ba- uh, it's basically a manifestation of like herself as as a character who is a spy. And that's how she visualizes like the character of Argyle. It's, it's Henry Cavill with that, you know, uh, that that um, flat top haircut and like, yeah. and, you know. And and so, you know, in my mind, and characters say this explicitly that she's like, you know, the, the stuff that she wrote in those books actually happen, are, are like memories of missions that she's gone on and things right. like that, right? So, you know, in my mind, I'm like, okay, this is a very closed circle. This is a very clean loop here. Like she is this character and she talks to him in mirrors sometimes and he basically gives her the old like, you don't need me. It's been in you the whole kind of, you know, the whole time kind of uh, speech or whatever at one point. So then the fact that Henry Cavill with a mullet and a kind of a, a twangy accent or whatever shows up at the end of this kind of upends everything I thought I knew about this movie. Like, what am I supposed to take away from this? How does this actually work within the world of the story that's being told here? Like, who is this Henry Cavill guy that shows up in the real world? Do you do you have a, uh, a read on what what the movie was trying to say with that ending. I mean, it's, it's definitely a tease for a sequel. And I think it's, it's meant to be that kind of like, what the fuck moment. And like, it's, it's supposed to upend everything. As far as explaining it, like, I don't, I don't know how they do that unless that like the, the only way I feel like you could is that there would have to be some other level of brainwashing that happened where they made Rachel Kyle think that she did all of these things maybe that like as maybe that was like part of the effort of turning her into like a double agent for the division mm-hmm. and that really what uh what they did is give her the memories of another agent maybe maybe a former agent of the division who defected and went and worked for you know the the CIA or you know whoever hmm. the, you know, the good guy agency is and so that's the only thing that I can think of is that Argyle in addition to being, you know, Rachel Kyle is actually a real person that they whose memories they use, you know, to 
quote unquote create Rachel Kyle. But that's yeah, the guess on my part. Yeah, that was one option I had. Or like, is he a character who just has nothing to do with like the spy stuff? And he's just like a guy who she knew in her previous life or something who maybe served as like the physical embodiment. Or she's just... like, but she's shocked to see him. So there's she, like, yeah, yeah. There's, there's no, there's no recognition there or anything like that. You know, so, uh, or at least that's what it seems like, you know, because um, yeah, because it, it would be it would be weird that somebody that looks exactly like a character she imagined exists in the real world. Yeah, super weird. And uh, yeah, just so strange. And then and then the mid-credit scene, Brad, was even stranger to me. Um and I, I guess it makes sense when you really think about it, but I I had trouble in this moment. So, you know, I think it cuts to a scene that says uh, or a, a, some text that says 20 years earlier and there's a guy who's like in his 20s and he well, goes and, into and keep in mind it's the very first thing you see is the exterior of the tavern called the King's Man. So, yeah. so immediately you're like, oh, we're getting a tie into the Kingsman universe. Yeah, which like I don't think I, I did not finish Kingsman the Golden Circle. So I don't think we've ever seen this establishment before. And I don't know. I mean, maybe I remember that movie having like tie-ins with different um, alcohol uh, brands and things like that. So like, you know, to my knowledge, Kingsman was basically like a tailor service. Like, you know, it it, it sort of um, they, they operated out of this tailor shop. I didn't realize necessarily that they got into like the, uh, the tavern business or whatever, right. but anyway, so yeah, the, the, this guy, I guess 20 years before this movie, who this guy who's like in his twenties ish orders a drink at this tavern with a twist and the bartender, I don't remember the name of the drink, but the bartender basically says something like, you know, we're not going to make that. We don't make that here. And the guy starts like removing ingredients until only the twist is left and I guess it's meant to be like a code of some kind because the yeah. bartender then brings out this box with a gun in it and, and a silencer. Yeah. And a silencer. And the guy says something like, Oh, well that, that certainly is a twist or whatever. And then I, I forget exactly how it goes. Maybe you remember the details better than I do, but in my memory, the, the uh, bartender says like, what's your name or something. And the camera like, like dramatically pushes in on this. And the guy's like, my name is Aubrey, Aubrey Argyle. And so like right there, I'm like, what? Like, yeah. So and then, and then it, and then it cuts to like uh, an image in Ellie Conway's office of a poster of the cover art for the book Argyle. And in text, it says book one, the movie coming soon. Yeah. So, you know, at first, like when I was explaining this to my wife afterwards, God bless her for even listening to me <laughs> ramble on about this nonsense without having her having seen the movie and having the proper context to try to help me understand what the hell is going on here. Uh, I, I think I eventually came to the realization that like this guy is supposed to be a younger version of the Henry Cavill that we saw at the very end of the movie with the mullet and the yellow shirt. Um, it did not seem to me that that was like immediately obvious watching it because he didn't look anything like Henry Cavill. Um, but did uh, on that base level, did you understand that to be true? So that I, I'm not sure entirely about that because I, that wouldn't entirely make sense, but, but like, I mean, but, but it also still doesn't make sense in another way either, because so to explain the, the impetus for like the movie Argyle is there's actually a story behind this because there's a novel that exists that's on shelves now. It came out earlier this month that is called Argyle. And it's written by, quote unquote, Ellie Conway, who is the character in this movie. Now, it is, it, it's been uh, proposed and you know, seemingly confirmed that Ellie Conway is just a pseudonym. Uh, no one has fully confirmed who the actual author is. 
but the the book is meant to be quote unquote the inspiration for this movie but the mo- the book itself is not the story of the movie argyle the the book argyle is about this young kid uh you know 20 something named Aubrey Argyle who gets caught up in the world of spies and intrigue and whatnot. It is a totally separate story about this character, Aubrey Argyle, and his his exploits across the world and getting in, involved in all this intrigue and stuff like that. So what it seems like is it seems like they're setting up a universe in which the Argyle books that Ellie Conway wrote are also being turned into movies. I'm not entirely sure that that means that version of Aubrey Argyle would be the same as the Henry Cavill character we see at the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um but I, but yeah, I mean, like your your guess is as good as mine. Um, because yeah, because we still have the same problem of okay, well, if there's this whole history of you know Aubrey Argyle, then like how is Bryce Dallas Howard the agent Argyle? Yeah, yeah, it doesn't make much sense, and like. So and the fact that it it, in the Kingsman universe doesn't really help any matters. <laughs> no, that just that feels like an entirely unnecessary connection that just complicates things way way further than they already already were. Um, but like, yeah, the book one, the movie coming soon, kind of seems like it's it's calling its shot a little bit and almost like promising that a sequel slash prequel or something maybe more a prequel i guess is on the way i don't know if that's actually been confirmed you know we're recording this on friday like as the movie is coming out so i'm not sure if that that's been like officially confirmed or if apple has like secretly decided to just go all in on the argyle universe and like well if you would like to know for sure uh you can listen to the matthew vaughn interview that i conducted because i specifically asked him uh about the credit scene um and he he didn't necessarily give anything uh away but he did did confirm that the idea is to like you know set up a thing where they're able to tell this story but also with the um you know the caveat that like you know audiences have to show up to argyle to actually you know make it worth doing something like that but yeah the, yeah. the hope is that w- that's what they would do okay so i'm going to play the audio from that matthew vaughn interview in just a second the last thing that i have the last question i have brad is like if if book one the movie is coming soon did the Ellie Conway character, did the Bryce Dallas Howard character in this movie Argyle write book one? Like, you know, in the the Argyle book series, the five book or six book, however many books there were, in the series that she sort of wrote and published over this five-year period where that that character had amnesia, um, do you think the first book in that series is... uh, contains the events that we're about to see adapted in this potential future project that's being teased here or is it like a separate thing entirely well so and so that's the thing is the the argyle book as it exists in our world in in like you and yours and mine real world yeah like i can walk into a barnes and noble and pick up the argyle book right now yeah it's not about anything that happens in the argyle movie so like i i i don't necessarily know how that would make sense so like i get i i wonder if like the 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 books would have to the story would have to exist in the kingsman universe and then maybe the kingsman universe is also its own fictional universe within the world of argyle if that makes sense (laughs) oh my god my head is just like spinning I, i i don't know man this is so weird i don't i don't this is like one of the most confusing uh 
endings of a movie that I've experienced that especially that one two punch of like the live action Henry Cavill with the mullet and then this mid credit sequence I just kind of came out of this movie feeling like I'd just been punched in the face like wait a second what is going on like I just have so many questions so yeah uh, really really bizarre experience but yeah maybe uh, Matthew Vaughn can help sort of shed some light on on this thing so here's Brad's conversation with uh, Argyle uh, I think he was he the writer of this or just the... I believe he um, also co-wrote the script with Jason Fuchs. Okay, so uh, Argyle co-writer and director, Matthew Vaughn. Matthew, it's great hey. to talk to you about Argyle. Uh, I saw the movie last night, and uh, I want to say we're, we're going to get into spoiler stuff, and we're going to hold it until after the movie comes out, so don't worry about any you of that. can't resist it, Because I want to talk about yeah. uh, one of the big sequences towards the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. It's, the, it's unlike anything I think I've seen in an action movie before, and it's that big Which musical one? dance fight with okay. all the smoke swirling around and yeah. you have Sam and Bryce actually like dancing with each other. Mm. What was the inception of, of that scene and how, how did they come together? Um, my mind obviously works in mysterious <laughs> and screwed up ways. Um, I, I had this sort of, what's happening, I've been flirting with the idea of doing a musical, which I'm gonna do now. Um, so this was me going into the musical fantasy sequence and I wanted to see what it was like working with choreographers and and do something different. Because I do think it's really important for me. I love action, yeah. but I don't like seeing the same action again and again yeah. and again and again, which I'm sure you see even more movies than I do. And you just go, come on, you know. Yeah. It, 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 so, and I, you know, there's, you know, that and the ice skating sequences were just, I just thought, let's do stuff differently, you know, do things. And I also wanted to do it with a feminine twist, you know, yeah. you know which I think those two sequences have. Yeah, and that's oh, I think what's interesting too is watching the movie is the, they've kind of held back on the romance side of, mm-hmm. of the movie, and that's yeah. that comes into play in, in such a big way. And the dynamic yeah. between Sam and Bryce is is fantastic. There. Yeah, I mean it's it's really weird. Uh, to Universal's credit, I said I said please don't give everything away, and they have been pretty disciplined, you know, which. Um, uh, you know, you, you know, a lot of times you see trailers or you go into a movie, and you know, you know, you know really what's going to happen. Yeah. And and you know, the, I think some of the best cinematic experiences I've ever had was was Star Wars, uh, in the name of the Rose, uh, films that I knew nothing about, and I sat there, and you're like, what was this? Yeah. Um, and I'm hoping, you know, it's harder when you're trying to create a big blockbuster that you have to get people to come and tease them I and mean, not even tease them when we just sell the hell out of it yeah. and then they come and you go yeah I've seen the movie and and with all the material so with this one at least i think people will have a surprise and go on a bit of an epic thrill ride yeah. without realizing what they're going on speaking of surprise uh, another thing that people don't know going in is that there's a mid-credit sequence that teases mm. something else to come and yes. i wonder if you could talk about that because it feels like it throws the whole universe for a loop because it ties into the Kingsman universe and also mm. sets up the idea of turning the actual Argyle book into a movie. And I yeah. assume that's something that you would like to do. Yeah, as you said, tease is the word. And it's more about, hey, you know what? If you if everybody goes buys tickets to this movie and makes it into a hit, they're going to get there's a lot more uh, ingredients that we want to play with and make some more fun, tasty movies for them. <laughs> but we need them to make them, you know buy into the first one first. Of course. Yeah. And along, along with that, you, we have that final scene with uh, Henry Cavill putting mm. on a, a little bit of a, a country twang. I wonder, mm. I wonder if you could pro- provide a little bit of uh, insight into that maybe. I can absolutely say that that is the whole basis of, of Argyle 2. And it's exactly to see Henry do stuff that you've never seen Henry do before. 
Awesome. Sounds perfect. And cool. they're, they're giving me the light. So that's, that's my time. Great. I appreciate well, it, Matthew. Thanks cheers. a lot. Thank you very much. All right. So yeah, that, that definitely did shed some light on some things there. I, I guess he's sort of in wait and see mode until uh, the, the uh, financial returns come back from the box office receipts and all that stuff for this movie. But um, we'll see how this does. Well, I mean, that really feels like Apple is kind of rolling the dice on Universal distributing this thing and, and really relying on that one trailer to get people in. Uh, and for people like us to not drive people away, honestly, with this like WTF thing of how this movie ends. So we'll, we'll see how this movie performs. But um, I guess, where would you rank Argyle in, if you had to make a, a ranking of um, all of Matthew Vaughn's films, Brad, where would you put Argyle? I think it would probably land somewhere in the middle. I, I don't think it's quite as good as like, uh, kick ass or the the original Kingsman um, but I I think it's definitely better than like uh, Golden Circle or or the Kingsman you know I haven't rewatched Stardust yet but yeah I think I think somewhere somewhere in the middle and I, and, and I definitely enjoyed it you know so like for all like the logical you know nonsensical nature of like what happens in the second half and with the the ending and the credit scene like if anything I'm just curious to see how they dig their way out of it you know yeah. Yeah. I think I fall in the same place. I, I think in terms of like the updated ranking from yesterday, I'm going to keep Kingsman, the golden circle at number eight, the Kingsman at number seven, I'm gonna put Argyle at number six, and then that'll have kick-ass layer cake, Kingsman, the secret service, X-Men first class and stardust above it in that order. So I, I feel like that feels right. Um, so cool. All right. Well, thanks for having this this conversation with me, Brad. I was kind of hoping we would come to like, you know, some sort of a, a transcendent understanding of exactly what the hell they were trying to do with the end of this movie. And I feel like we didn't quite get there, but uh, it was a fun conversation nonetheless. And hopefully um, we helped our audiences sort of work through some of this stuff in real time. So uh, yeah, you can find more about Argyle at slashfilm.com. I will link to a few things in the show notes as well. Slashfilm Daily is published every weekday, bringing the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site you can subscribe to the show on apple overcast spotify wherever you get your podcasts please subscribe to our newsletter there's a link for that in the show notes as well send your feedback questions comments concerns and mailback topics to us at bpearson at slashfilm.com make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air don't forget to take a moment to rate and review the show on apple Podcasts or spotify that really does help us out a lot tell your friends about the show any way you can thank you so much for listening and we will talk to you all next week Nice buns, soft, fluffy, and ultra low net carbs. Discover Hero Bread, the delicious ultra low net carb bread with incredible taste and texture. Hero Bread has zero grams of sugar and is under 100 calories per serving, plus high in fiber with 5 to 10 grams of protein per serving. Order from hero.co now and get 10% off your first purchase with promo code AH10. That's 10% off with code AH10. H E R O.co.